All right, well, we are in Philippians as we got started last week uh, in our series in Philippians. This will last us throughout the summer. I uh, hope you uh, have read through the book of Philippians recently. It was our New Testament reading book a couple of weeks ago. I encourage you to keep reading through Philippians throughout the summer. It's uh, one of the shorter New Testament books, so it doesn't take too long to get through. But it's worth repeatedly reading it as we go through this sermon series. And today I want to hit on some of the things that are going to come up throughout the book of Philippians. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the word together. Father, I thank you that you have brought us here to hear your word and to worship together as a, as, as a one body. God, I pray for the, the churches in our community who are also meeting right now and, and, and the, the believers in Christ who are being strengthened by the word, but not just the believers in Christ, those who are apart from you, those who don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, who are sitting in our churches this, this very morning. God, I pray that their ears would be open to the gospel. And God, that you would continue to grow our family through the salvation of those who are apart from you. And God, as we sit here today at Redemption, I pray that your word would speak powerfully into our lives. Give us direction for how we are to live and give us power to accomplish the mission that you have laid out for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, the message this morning is titled, Change Your Scorecard. And the question I really want to ask as we, as we think about what that means is how do you measure success in your life? What are the things, that, the, the metrics, if you will, that you look at to say whether or not life is going well, whether or not you're being successful, whether or not things are going the way that you want them to? I mean, most of us, there's probably a few metrics that we all have in common, things that we use to measure how we're doing successfully. One is our own sense of happiness and joy. Probably a lot of us think about when, when we think about how life is going, we think about our own health. Are we, are we feeling good? Are we, are we living healthy? Uh, or are we feeling lousy? Are we, we plagued by disease or, or chronic pain or some, you know, or even mental um, you know, ailments, depression, or, or anxiety. We look at our bank accounts. That's an easy one because numbers don't lie. You're like, I'm either doing good here or I'm not. How do you measure success in your life? Is it your job, your kids, sports activities? Well, I want to encourage us to change the way we measure success in our life based on Philippians 1 this morning. Paul, as he writes the letter of Philippians, you may know, is writing this letter from jail. If you were to measure Paul's success in life by those metrics that we just mentioned, things aren't going real well. I don't think he even had a bank account at this point in his life. He's living in jail. From a worldly perspective, things aren't going well. He's, you could say, failing at this thing we call life. But Paul doesn't measure success that way. He measures success through, through a, a very different worldview, through a very different lens. We're, I want to look ahead to some of the things that we're going to see as we move on in Philippians. In chapter 3, in verse 7, he says, But everything that was a gain to me I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Is that how you measure success in your life? That by losing all things you might gain Christ? Paul's using a different scorecard than most of us. He's not measuring success the way that we would measure it. He goes on to say in verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Suffering actually equals success on Paul's scorecard. Assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. And so Paul, who, who had worldly success, if you will, he, he, he was successful in his career. He was well-respected. He was probably fairly well-paid. And he, he considers that all of these things are worth losing if he might gain Christ, experience suffering along with him, and eventually eternal life. That's Paul's scorecard. So that brings us to our text that we're looking at today, Philippians 1. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the book of Philippians, because I want to spend the rest of our time in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 20. He says in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, okay, this is after his brief introduction to the church at Philippi. He, he wants to get on into the, the meat of this letter with this transition. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others pro proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way... Whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I, I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's a powerful word. That's a powerful word. Here's Paul sitting in prison and he's, he's making this bold proclamation that, hey, even though I'm in prison, God has used that to advance the gospel. And as he's gonna reveal later, from, from what I read in, in chapter three, if the goal of his life, if his scorecard or his measure of success is that the gospel might advance both outwardly by going to other people through Paul and inwardly as he experiences the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his own life, if that's the scorecard, then being in prison is actually Paul winning. Because through his imprisonment, the gospel continues to advance. So I want to say for the Christian, perhaps 
the, the most significant measure of success in our lives should be, is the gospel advancing through my life? So ask yourself that question this morning. Is the gospel advancing through your life? Is the word of God being declared and demonstrated? That's our mission statement here at Redemption. To declare and demonstrate God's plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. Is the word of God being declared? Are people hearing the word of God? Are they becoming familiar with the word of God through, through declaration? And are they seeing it lived out through demonstration? For the Christian, one measure of success should be is the gospel advancing through my life. So let me give you, if, that, if you're willing to change your scorecard, if you're willing to say, I'm gonna make the measure of success for my life, how much the gospel advances, let me give you three encouragements from this passage in Philippians chapter one. If you have a handout, let's, let's go through a couple of these uh, fill in the blanks here. The unstoppable gospel is advancing one through my trials. This is, this is Paul's, Paul's proclamation here that the gospel, the unstoppable gospel is advancing through my trials. Let me read again for you. Verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. What a great phrase. What a great thing to stop and think about. What has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. All of us, without exception, can say the last 15, 16 months, whatever, whatever we're up to now since COVID began, can, can point to things that have happened that frustrated us, that didn't go the way we wanted, that stopped us from doing things that we had hoped we would be doing. For some of us, this was an extremely difficult season. But as you look back over that time period, can you say along with Paul that what has happened to us, what has happened to this world, has actually served to advance the gospel? Paul's experience was that even through his trials, even through his undesirable circumstances, even through his suffering, the gospel was advancing. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. How did it advance the gospel? Let me show you a couple of things in this passage. Verse 13, so it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Now, the imperial guard were like the elite soldiers of the Roman Empire. These were like the Navy SEALs. They were, they were highly esteemed, highly trained, very, um, just very well known for their efficiency and, and their, their ability as soldiers. And here's Paul. He's having this opportunity through his imprisonment to advance the gospel into, into the heart of the Roman army. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Paul's goal in life was to take the gospel from Jerusalem into the entire Roman world and here he is through imprisonment. I'm sure that's not the way he would have preferred to advance the gospel, but nonetheless, he's not bothered by that. He trusts in what God is doing. He trusts that God knows best. And so the imperial guard and to everyone else, he goes on to say in verse 14, and most of the brothers, 
excuse me, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord. I always think when I read this, I'm like, why just most of the brothers? How would it feel to be some of the brothers who didn't gain confidence from Paul's imprisonment? Not good. You don't want to be in that category. You want to be part of the most of. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. That's, that's the effect that suffering well as a believer has on other believers. When you suffer well for, for Christ, when you go through trials, when you go through difficult things and you suffer well, it encourages those who are watching. It encourages them that, hey, if they, you know, we're always, we're always like in pain avoidance mode. We're like, oh, I don't want to go through that or I don't want to go through this. I don't want to experience those types of difficulties. And then you see somebody going through it and they're doing okay. And you're like, okay, well, then maybe I'll be all right too. Maybe I'll be able to persevere and, and to be faithful as a Christian and to serve the Lord effectively. And maybe God will even use that suffering to do things to advance the gospel. That's the, that's the, uh, the experience of those who are seeing Paul imprisoned for Christ and yet living faithfully. Most of the brothers are encouraged to preach the, the word more boldly. And then finally, one that's not spoken in here. Through Paul's trials, the gospel is advancing to us. Many of, Paul, many, many of the books of the New Testament, which are Paul's, several of them are, are Paul's letters, were written while he's in prison. Safe to say, we wouldn't have the book of Philippians if it wasn't for Paul's imprisonment, as well as several other books like Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. There's a nice little chunk of the New Testament that is written during Paul's imprisonment that we're reading about here. So if you're reading this book, or if you're reading any of those other books I just mentioned, you can thank Paul's imprisonment for that. Any encouragement that you have received from the book of Philippians, that came through Paul's suffering. And Paul saw that. He saw that even though he was in undesirable circumstances, the gospel was advancing. He had a different scorecard than us. He was looking at success differently. <clears throat> John Piper said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of maybe three of them. Think about that for a minute. I think there's a lot of truth in that. God is always doing perhaps an a, a ridiculous number of things in my life right now, and I'm only aware of a couple of them. And some of them I'll become aware of later on, and, and many of them I might not be aware of until I'm with him in eternity. But God is always working through our lives. Philippians 1 is an example of that. Here's Paul, imprisoned for Christ, and God is working in all of these ways to advance the gospel. Piper goes on to say, he says, there are three granite foundation stones for, for this confidence. God's love, God's sovereignty, and God's wisdom. You can trust when things aren't going the way you want them to. When you're experiencing difficulty, when you're experiencing trial, you can trust that God is still working because of his love. 
because we have this assurance that he loves us. He who, who, who would not spare his own son, the Bible says, that's how much he loves us. The one who gave Jesus Christ to die in our place. You can trust his love. You can trust his sovereignty. He's not given over control of his world to humans or anyone else for that matter. He is in control and he is able to work through his power, through his might, to accomplish anything that he desires. Finally, we can trust God's wisdom. We can believe that he knows best. He knows better, not just best, he knows better than you do. He knows better than I do. So many times we're like, if we think if we were in control, we would do things differently. Well, that's a huge mistake to make because if we were in control, we would do things worse. God is infinitely wise. He knows what he's doing. And he's able to advance the gospel even through our trials. So that's the first encouragement from Paul's writing here that I want to give you. The, the gospel, the unstoppable gospel advances even through our trials. Number two, the unstoppable gospel advances through my supporters and through my adversaries. Through my supporters and through my adversaries. We're going to find this in verses 15 through 18. In verse 15... <clears throat> Paul says, to be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Paul sees that, that the gospel of Christ is advancing even through, not only just through his supporters, which we would expect, but even through his adversaries. He mentions two different groups of people. Those who are preaching the gospel out of love, those who are encouraged by his imprisonment, and they're saying, well, if Paul is willing to, to suffer for this gospel, then we too should be willing to suffer for this gospel. But then there's this other group of people that, that nobody knows exactly who they are. There's, there's speculation, there's guesses. And, and he, he, he says that they pre, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Well, that's not surprising. I think we see lots of examples of that. But he goes on to say, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. Now, what kind of trouble they're hoping to cause Paul in his imprisonment by proclaiming Christ is, is not clear. That's where the speculation comes in. Some speculate that these were the Judaizers who were sort of preaching <clears throat> a contrary gospel to what Paul had been preaching. They were preaching a, a, a gospel of law-keeping instead of the gospel of grace that Paul was preaching. Some speculate that these were people who were preaching the true gospel, but they were trying to take credit for the advances of the gospel that came through Paul's preaching. And by that, they were insincere. They were looking for worldly gain. I can think, lots, think of lots of examples today of, of preachers who preach out of selfish ambition. Preachers who preach to get rich. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon in, in this 21st century that you can actually become rich by being a preacher of the gospel. 
<clears throat> that was just unthinkable to Paul and those early apostles. The, I mean, they gave up everything to preach the gospel. They lived in poverty at times. They lived in prison at times. The, the, preaching the gospel was not, not a good plan for worldly success. But here we are today. There are people all around us preaching the gospel hoping to gain for themselves a following, hoping to gain for themselves worldly success. Woe to those who proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. We, if we are going to proclaim Christ, must look closely at our hearts and our motives. But that's not the point of what Paul is saying here. He says the gospel is advancing even through them. (laughs) The gospel is advancing even through them. The gospel is going forth through people with impure motives and how they're preaching the gospel. I think of the people who who in in the gospels appear before Jesus on the day of judgment. And Jesus is separating those who who have faithfully obeyed him from those who have rejected him. And there are some who come to him expecting to be on the side of those who faithfully obeyed him. And they have their list of things that they do. And and Jesus Jesus says, depart from me into eternal wrath. And they say, but Jesus, wait a minute. Didn't we do this, 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 this all in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. It's possible to do the work of the kingdom of Christ without actually knowing the king, Christ himself. And so we got to be careful. We have to examine our hearts. But let's take encouragement from this. Paul's point here is that whether they're preaching from the right motives or the wrong motives, the gospel is going forth and Christ is being proclaimed. And even if he's being proclaimed in, in, in ways that need corrected, They're at least getting the conversation going, I guess. They're causing people to talk about Jesus. So we should be encouraged. These false preachers that are finding worldly success and woefully leading some people astray are at the same time presenting a platform for us to talk about the true gospel, to talk about Jesus in a way that some might come to salvation through my supporters and through my adversaries. One of my favorite examples of how God sometimes works through those who oppose us is in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 15, I'm sorry, in Genesis 50, you have the conclusion of the story of Joseph and his brothers. If you know the story, this will sound familiar. If you don't know the story, let me try to recap it for you real quickly. Joseph had a bunch of brothers. And as, a, as a, a big family with a lot of brothers, there was lots of rivalry and contention and, and, and fighting among, amongst them, excuse me. And when Joseph had a dream that God was going to basically, let's say, make him great, he went to his brothers and he mistakenly told them about this dream and they resented him so much that they actually planned to kill him, but instead of killing him, they decided that they could make a profit by selling him into slavery. So they literally sold their brother into slavery. Probably nobody else here has ever done anything quite that ludicrous in in your sibling rivalries, but they sold their brother into slavery, 
And he goes away and, and their dad thinks he's dead. And there's this whole big dramatic story of how this plays out. And poor Joseph, he, every time he thinks he's catching a break, something bad happens. Somebody else betrays Joseph in a dishonest way. And he just gets further and further away from the life that he thinks he should have. He's sold into slavery, but he's faithful as a slave, and so he gets promoted. But after he gets promoted, he's falsely accused, and he's thrown into jail. And then he does some, some really good favors for some people in jail, and he thinks that he's going to get out of jail as a result, but they kind of forget about him. And nobody wants to help Joseph get into a decent place in life. But again, God is always doing 10,000 things. And we can trust in his love, we can trust in his sovereignty, and we can trust in his wisdom. In the story of Joseph, before it all ends, he actually becomes second in command in Egypt. And as the second in command of Egypt, he is responsible for leading Egypt and the surrounding world through a great famine. And he saves many, many lives, including the lives of his own brothers who sold him into slavery. His conclusion as he looks back over all of the bad things that have been done to him and, and against him by, by people with impure motives and people desiring to harm him, as if to use our language of point number two, through his adversaries, as he looks back and he, and he speaks to his brothers, he says this in Genesis 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. To bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I would take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Could you imagine somebody tries to kill you? And then sells you into slavery. Which at first appearance totally wrecks your entire life. But yet coming so full circle through God's providence. That you come the whole way back to this place where you can look back and say. You know what? Everything that everybody ever did against me. Was part of God's plan. To advance his purpose. To advance his kingdom to use our New Testament language, to advance the unstoppable gospel. Imagine, it, how, how would you live your life today if you had that perspective right now? How would you live your life today if you could see that through everything that anybody has ever done to you, any, any negative word that they have ever spoken to you, any way they've ever backstabbed you or betrayed you or hurt you or, or, or left you and abandoned you, if you could see with gospel lenses that all of those things God was using to advance the gospel, that there will come a day when you will look back and you will thank God for what those people did to you because he used it for good. Even though they intended it for evil, that's Joseph's message to his brothers. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good. Are you willing to, to look at your adversaries that way? Are you willing to view your trials 
as just another move on God's chessboard as he plans the advancement of the gospel. As he uses you to bring about good in the lives of others and in your life. Think about this. Evil men killed Jesus. And God used that for good. In fact, he used that for the greatest good that has ever been accomplished in all of human history. Evil men killed Jesus. It's the most evil plan ever to be carried out by man. And it results in the greatest good. The most evil thing that man has ever done resulted in salvation for you. And salvation for us and for millions, perhaps billions of other human beings. If that's the case, then what else could human beings possibly do that should deter or discourage us? Whatever man might, whatever evil man might plan against you, God will use it for good. That's the encouragement of Paul's letter. He's like, there's people out here, man, while I'm in prison, you think my adversaries would let up. But no, they're, they're jumping on this opportunity to try to cause me harm. Whatever. The gospel's going forth. The unstoppable gospel is advancing. It's advancing through my trials, Paul says. Then he goes on to say, it's advancing through my supporters and through my adversaries. And then finally, number three, the unstoppable gospel is advancing through my life or my death. I think there's a progression of spiritual maturity in this, in this passage that's being outlined. I think as we begin to follow Christ, our hope is that everything is going to go good for us. That's what we hope when we come to Christ, most of us. That was my hope. I think I came to Christ because I wanted my life to go better. My life was going poorly, so I made the decision to turn my life over to Christ, hoping that things would go better. And then you learn as you go on in Christ and as you grow in maturity that that's not the way things necessarily work. And at least for me, the first step was learning to accept that God is able to work through my trials. That was, that was the first progression in, in my maturity as I followed Christ in terms of, of these three things that we're talking about. You, you know, you go through something tough, but then you see God bring good out of it. You know, you, you, whether it's, you know, physical illness or losing somebody you love or, or losing a job or, or something, you know, you, you, most Christians fairly early on in, in their Christian walk are going to have an experience where, where something goes wrong and yet you're able to see God bring good through it. And you start to build this confidence like, wow, God's a lot different than, than I thought. He's more, he's more powerful than I thought. He's, he, he, he's planned my life a little bit differently than I thought. But it's good because he's able to bring good even out of my trials. And you start to view your trials a little differently. Perhaps this is another opportunity for the gospel to advance, for God to glorify himself. But then it's, a, it's you, you maybe don't see your adversaries quite that way yet. You think, okay, you know, if I get sick, God will bring about something good for that. But it's, it's, a, it's a big step in maturity to begin to think that even through those people who oppose me, 
even through those who, who intend me harm, even through those people from my past who have done something horrible, you know, you start to process your relationships. And, and as we grow in maturity, you start to realize that God has even used those things for good. And then the final step in this progression, because most of us think, well, yeah, God can still do good as long as I'm still alive. But what good could possibly come of my death? And that's where Paul has gotten to in his maturity. He's gotten to the place where not only can he see how God works through trials, that's like old news to him at this point. Because it's been happening since he first became a Christian. Not only does he, has he learned to recognize that even through those who oppose him and those who mean him harm through his adversaries, that the gospel is going to advance, but he's gotten to this place in his life and in his spiritual maturity where he realizes that even through his death, the gospel is going to advance. That's a hard place to get to. I'm not saying Paul's hoping that he, he's going to die. He explicitly says that he hopes that he's going to be set free. In fact, he says he's confident that he's going to be set free, that this imprisonment won't end in death. But he's also aware that even if he does die, that the gospel will advance through that. Let me show you this. Verse 18, yes. And I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. Whether he means salvation in terms of freedom from imprisonment or just ultimate salvation, either way it works. Verse 20 says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So whether I get out and live, if that happens, Christ will be honored. If I stay here and I die, Christ will be honored and he's not praying he's not praying for one or the other he's just what he's praying for and what he's hoping for is that he'll be faithful that he'll not be ashamed and that he'll stand his ground and that he will continue to serve Christ faithfully that is a level of spiritual maturity that we all should seek to live in that we know that hey the rest of my life regardless of how it goes the one thing I hope the one thing that I seek, the one thing that I ask God for is that I will live a faithful Christian life. Whether I live out the rest of my days in peace and health and in wealth or whether I live out the rest of my days in suffering and pain and poverty. May Christ be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. That's a place we all need to get to. Because for most of us, if we're going to live long on this earth and we're going to have a life full of years, there's going to be plenty of opportunity, not only for Christ to be honored through our life and through our health, but through our sickness and through our weakness. One of, my, uh, one of my mentors from the early part of my Christian life, he was one of my professors at Bible college, and I've stayed in touch with him over the years, over the last almost 20 years now. 
and um, just really made a big impact on my life at a time when I was looking for godly men to pour into and mentor me. And uh, he, as a professor, he was, uh, he, he wasn't, um, he, he didn't limit his impact to the classroom. He, he really sought out to make an impact through his life in, in his students. And he, he and his wife would often invite groups of students over their home and, and have dinner and just pour into us and not just teach us what to believe in the classroom, but, but teach us how to live it out in everyday life. He taught me how to be a, a Christian husband and how to be a Christian father. He taught me not just how to do ministry in the church, but how to do ministry in my home. And for the, for the past almost 20 years, he's been that influence in my life. Well, I called him last year just to check in and see how he was doing. And he revealed to me that in his, he's mid-50s, uh, he's been diagnosed with early-onset Parkinson's. And, uh, man, that hit me. That hit me just in a way that I didn't really expect. I'm familiar with people suffering physically. That's, that's, some, that's a reality in our own family. That's reality for me as a pastor of, many, uh, of a church of people. And, but, but this one hit me. I just didn't see it coming. He was always a guy that, that you know, took care of his health and was very disciplined in, in how he lived his life. And you think if anybody's going to live out the rest of their life in good health, it would be him, right? He's been faithful in the gospel. And yet here he is. God has asked him to go down this road. This road of physical suffering. This road of, of, for all intents and purposes, living out the rest of his life here on earth with significant difficulty. In fact, just this past week, I've been praying for him a lot because he, <clears throat> he was having a procedure done um, where they put some, some leads on his brain and somewhere else in his body to kind of control some of the tremors and shaking and stuff. And so I've been praying for him. By God's grace, he came through that really well. And it seems like er the early signs are that's been successful. But I know that's not the end of the story for him. He's going to have to live out the rest of his life with a broken body. When we face that reality, and many of you are already facing it, many of you are already experiencing that, do you trust God to not only advance the gospel, but to, to care for you and to allow you to experience the joy of being in Him even when, even when <clears throat> life is not going as you hoped it would, or perhaps even in the midst of great physical suffering. Paul's prayer was that he would finish well. In fact, he goes on to say, he's so confident in this idea that, that the gospel is going to advance through his life or through his death. He goes on to say in verse 21, which will be for next week, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In conclusion, I would just want to ask you again, how do you measure success? Do you measure success by how the gospel is advancing through your life? Or are you still using the world's scorecard? The one that says, well, if I'm 
happy and healthy and wealthy, then I'm good. Paul was happy in a Christian kind of way. Physically, could be better. He's been beaten up pretty good. Wealthy, not so much. He's in prison. Yet the gospel is advancing through him. Through his trials. Through his adversaries. And eventually through his death. I want to encourage you to be confident that that same unstoppable gospel is at work in you and through you. I want to leave you with the, the words of, that Paul wrote himself in Romans 8, verse 31. He said, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the unstoppable gospel proclaimed by Paul and demonstrated through a life of faithfulness even in the midst of trials, even when facing adversaries, and even ultimately when staring down death. This confidence that our brother in Christ had that you were still good and that you were still at work and that you were bringing about your purposes through his life and even through his death. God, may we live lives like that. May we live lives of faithfulness to the gospel in all circumstances. God, may our trials only serve to unite us with you who suffered greater than any man has ever suffered. God, may our adversaries remind us that we too once were your adversaries. That we too once walked in opposition to you. And as you commanded us to in the Gospels, may we pray for our enemies that they might know you and experience you and and go from adversaries to brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, as we face the reality that these bodies are fragile and they break and they succumb to disease and weakness, God, may we be reminded that even in our death, the Gospel can advance. So God, it's our prayer that we, like Paul, would be faithful in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. For many of us, that's going to be many more years of joyful living here on this earth, perhaps full of worldly success, but may we not be deceived. That's not the scorecard that counts. May we be faithful to the gospel to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.